Hey, it's Mistress Carrie, reporting for duty from MCHQ for episode 10 of the Mistress Carrie podcast. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Latini Creative Solutions. For over 20 years, they have been killing it with experience in design, print, and marketing, specializing in creative solutions that capture your voice and deliver your message. From supporting and energizing your already established brand or company to helping your company develop its identity and marketing campaigns, Latini Creative Solutions provides design that is thoughtful, focused, and creatively executed. I can tell you firsthand that if you're looking to reinvent yourself and rebrand and start something new, this is a great place to start because you can really figure out exactly how you want to be represented. You can find out more at latinicreative.com. This episode is also sponsored by Jumptown Skydiving. Now, if you have always thought about what it would be like to jump out of an airplane, you can head right to Orange, Massachusetts to Jumptown Skydiving and find out. There's no better way to commemorate a huge milestone in your life. A huge birthday, a graduation of some kind, overcoming an obstacle, a divorce, whatever it is, it's a great way to go, you know what? I'm going to go do something for myself, challenge myself, and just put yourself out there at 13,500 feet at 120 miles an hour. I mean, why not? Jumptown is the birth of sports skydiving. The first one happened in 1959. So if you're looking to make a tandem skydive just by yourself, If you want to get some family members together or get a group of friends together to socially distance at two and a half miles above the earth's surface, go to jumptown.com to make your tandem skydive reservation. Reservations are available on Thursdays, Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays, and it is amazing and you will love it. Before we get rolling on this week's podcast episode, I want to thank everybody that got themselves Mistress Carrie backstage passes. We announced it last week, my official fan club on Patreon, and I want to thank Christine, Mike, Julia, Michael, Brianna, Ricky, Renee, William, Danielle, Jen, Wendy, Peter, Donna, Chillaxon, Kim, Jonathan, Stephen, Ashley, Travis, and Carol for all picking up their Mistress Carrie backstage passes, which you can get at patreon.com slash mistresscarrie. Now, this episode of the podcast rocks, and so does the corresponding playlist that is linked in the description of this podcast. My friend Sarah Hagen is the Director of Artist Relations at Zildjian. I know you recognize these symbols because they are everywhere, and they're everywhere because they are awesome. The story behind the company of Zildjian symbols is fascinating and spans hundreds of years, which Sarah will talk about. But Zildjian has also been so influential in the evolution of rock and roll right here in the United States and all around the world. If you love the sound of the Beatles or the Rolling Stones or the Foo Fighters or Pearl Jam or Soundgarden or Fleetwood Mac or Steely Dan or Motley Crue or The Roots or Blink-182, and so many more. Then you love that sound partly because of Zildjian symbols. Sarah and I met a few years ago backstage at a show, 
and have remained friends ever since. And she has got an amazing job. For rock fans, you don't have to just be a drummer, but for just fans of music, you are going to love this episode. I am honored and pleased to introduce you to Sarah Hagen from Zildjian. Hey, what's up? This is Sully from Godsmack. Strap on those boots, baby, because you are now in the trenches of the war room with the one and only Mistress Carrie right here on the Mistress Carrie podcast. What's up? This is Joe Rogan, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Her hair is so lovely. Good eyes. Hey, this is Brent from Shinedown, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hey, Carrie, go put your brow on, girl. Hey, this is Steven Tyler, and you'll be listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. What's up? This is Aaron from Stain, and you're listening to Mistress Carrie. Hi, everybody. This is Dave Grohl from the Food Fighters, and you're listening to the one, the only, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is David from the Band Disturbed, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. This is Marilyn Manson, and you're listening to the baddest bitch in Boston, Mistress Carrie. Hi, this is Flea from the Red Hot Chili Peppers. You're listening to Mistress Carrie. This is Dennis Leary. You are listening to my favorite, Mistress Carrie. Hey, this is Corey from Stone Sour, and you're listening to... You have the privilege of listening to Mistress Carrie. Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Sarah. Hey. Can you hear me okay? I can hear you great. How are you? I'm doing good, thank you. Holding up all right with all of this isolation? I, I'm holding up okay. These uh, Zoom calls and you know Instagram Lives have been uh, keeping me in touch with people, thankfully. It's nice to be able to see your face. I have the ability to, to talk to people and be able to see them when I'm recording these podcast episodes. And it's so nice to see another person, even though it's through a screen, that it makes me feel like I'm not quite as isolated as I have been. I agree. It feels like we're together. (laughs) When I started this podcast, obviously in the wake of the loss of WAF, I, I wanted this podcast to not just be about the musicians, but I wanted it to be about the rock lifestyle that we all live, regardless of what it is that we do for a living, But if we love rock music, that's kind of the umbrella we all huddle under. But there are so many different facets of the industry and the music and so many people behind the scenes that help to make the music that we all love possible. And when I started thinking about people that I wanted to talk to and episodes that I wanted to do, you came up because... I think that the Zildjian Company is such an interesting American story. It's such a legendary brand in music, but the longevity of this company in the fra- the the fabric of America when you talk about family-owned businesses. And then on top of it, what you do there is a job that maybe people didn't even know existed. And I was like, you know what? I got to talk to Sarah because I think people are going to be so fascinated about what she does. So what is your official job title at Zildjian? My official job title is Director of Artist Relations for Zildjian Cymbals and Vic Firth Drumsticks. So it's a long one. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You need two business cards. Yeah. 
You and I met, was it a couple years ago? Did we meet backstage at the Xfinity Center? Is that where we met the first time? Yep. Yep, the Xfinity Center. Yep, it's where I spend a lot of time in the summers. I think you yeah. as well, right? At least we yeah. used to. We used to. <laughs> so you have this amazing job where it's part of your job to go to concerts pretty frequently. How how often are you at live shows when the world is normal? Yes, when the world is normal. Um, usually in the summertime, I'll be at a live show about three times a week, I would say. Um, and then, you know, for the rest of the year, a couple, couple of shows a week. I feel like for people that aren't drummers and aren't musicians, they might not understand the importance of Zildjian in the music business. Um, I came to work at the factory, I don't know, 15 or 16 years ago. I used to do this thing on the air called the work release program where I would go and do a listener's job for the day. And so I've mm -hmm. toured your manufacturing facility, which is in Massachusetts, which is one of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode. So before we get into the history of the company and all of that, can you talk about uh, where all of these products are made? Because they're all made in the U.S. Absolutely. Yes. So our factory is in Norwell, Massachusetts, on the South Shore. And we are actually a foundry, which is pretty rare nowadays where we we melt the metal on site and we use the technique that's been used for almost 400 years so in 2023 the company will be 400 years old um, so it's this amazing hybrid between office space and the factory and um yeah we manufacture everything all of our symbols um, in massachusetts and then we also have a factory in maine in Newport, Maine, where we manufacture the sticks. It's amazing to walk into that facility and see, I mean, I spent the day there and I actually have a symbol, two symbols actually in MCHQ, one of them signed by the Zildjians as a gift to me after I did that day of work down there. And the other symbol that I have, I actually made in, in the plant. Mm -hmm. And um, I left feeling this sense of accomplishment with this, thing in my hands because I was like, I made this with right. my hands. I mean, and a lot of equipment and some professional help, but it was so cool to to have this thing in my hands that I actually fabricated from start to finish. And I just I I just loved being in the factory. And if the world were normal, I would have preferred to have recorded this interview there so that we could have gone through the process in person. Absolutely. Maybe we'll have to do a part two. A yeah. Factory we'll, tour episode. A, a Corona yeah, free because, part two. Exactly. Yeah, yes. Yeah. I mean, I, I love the factory as well. Um, I, I actually got a, a, the opportunity to work in the factory when I first started working for the company. I asked if I could spend some time there and learn the machines and get to know the, the techniques um, of symbol making and um, you know, the owners of the company were great and they said, you set up this schedule for me to be down there in the factory. And so um, just working on the machines, every part about it, the sounds that the machines make while they're making symbols is unique in itself. Um, but the seeing something come from, you know, chunks of metal into this amazing instrument that's used to create the music that we love and listen to, it's, 
you know, it's, it's magical almost. I think you probably felt it, you know, leaving there saying like, I created this, right? And your job working with artist relations, it's your job to be the contact person between the drummers themselves who use your cymbals and drumsticks and mallets and the company. So you're interacting with the musicians that are making the music with your product. So I would think that it would be incredibly important for you to understand every aspect of the production so you can answer technical questions. Absolutely. Yeah. So, you know, everything that happens to a symbol in the process of making it changes the sound of the symbol or creates how that symbol will come to sound. Um, so we start with the same metal to make all of our symbols, which I think is really interesting. It's the the same combination of metals ends up creating some really bright symbols and some really dark symbols and some dry symbols. And um, what creates that sound is the lathing and the hammering, the techniques that go into actually creating it. And so, yeah, when talking to artists about their symbol sounds and what they need for what they're doing, I'll get a phone call about, you know, um, I'm doing a recording that's not typical to what my usual sound is and this is what I need. I'm looking for this other thing. And so helping them find that is a lot of what I do. When you talk about different symbol sounds, you know, you're using words that for an untrained ear or just a music fan, they might not understand the different styles of symbol and, and the words that go with it when you're talking mm -hmm. to a musician. So can you give some, some real world examples of, of what you're talking about? Sure, absolutely. Um, that's a really good point too. In the in the drumming and cymbal world, we use these uh, we use a lot of different terms, and some artists use different terms too. And I think you'll particularly like this one. We've actually had someone come and and say, "I need a cymbal that's more purple." So, <laughs> <laughs> so it you know it's really like it's very personal to the drummer how they describe their personal sound. So, you know, in the industry, we use we use words like bright. So a bright symbol is something like um, Tommy Lee would play. He plays bright symbols that project. So he's hitting his symbols and they're projecting. The noise is projecting um, really well. And the, the frequency of the symbol is higher. Whereas if you hear someone like, um, Nathan Followell from Kings of Leon, he uses big, dark symbols. So the, the sound, the, the frequency is lower and the sound doesn't project as much. So they're mic'd differently. So, um, but the individual drummers use these terms and we have to kind of just roll with it and figure out what they're talking about. Um, the particular drummer who used the term purple, um, he has something called synesthesia. So he sees color in sound really and that's a thing it is a thing i had no idea until i met him um but he sees color when he hits symbols and when he hits his drums he actually sees color and he sees color surrounding people too which is incredibly interesting um but yeah so he asked for a symbol that was more purple and to it's, him what is purple to him purple to him is like this um ideal sound that he has in his head we went through some symbols, we made him some symbols that he felt were purple symbols, which is 
um, it's just incredible to me. You know, I can't see color in symbols, but I, you know, it's my job to kind of translate that into an actual product that he can use that that he feels fits with his musical style. I was going to ask you if he was on drugs when he said no. that he needed a symbol. That I did. I had no idea right? that synesthesia was even a thing. I'm going to have to Google it now. Definitely Google it. There are many different kinds of synesthesia. Um, this one is like uh, sound synesthesia. And um, yeah, it's really interesting. I didn't know either. When he said that to me, I was like, okay, this is a challenge. <laughs> but it's a thing. So it's your job when a drummer has a vision for a sound um, to be able to translate what it is that they need and either be able to find something that Zildjian already produces or in some cases produce something custom? Yes, which is so much fun. That's, um, that's one of the things I love is, okay, so we make... Um, we make all of these vast sounds and options, but sometimes someone wants something that's just a little different or they like a symbol that we make, but they want it to sound a little bit trashier. So they want us to put some, some more hammer marks in it or put some holes in it or something like that, um, come up with a different hi-hat combination. So maybe they want a different symbol on the top or on the bottom and we test out a bunch of different things. Um, so that's a lot of fun to me. And that's how we discover a lot of new sounds is working with the drummers on things that they are hearing. Um, you know, music changes over time and uh, miking and recording techniques change over time. So the needs for different sounds um, are constantly changing. Um, so that's, that's a lot of fun for me. I love that part of what I do. Um, working on the R&D team and working with um, our um, innovation team. And it's just uh, discovering new sounds, creating new sounds. We've come out with um, some symbol lines recently that are innovative and unique. And we're working on some new, really cool sounds that I think are kind of like the future, basically. What I didn't know and just discovered a few minutes ago was that you're a drummer yourself. Yes. When yes, did you start uh, playing the drums? I started as a kid. Um, I was one of those kids who banged on everything, you know, like <laughs> the, the pots and the pans and anything around the tapping child. That was me. Um, did you come and, from a musical family or your parents musicians? Um no, my, my parents just love music and music was such a big part of my childhood. You know, everything I, I did as a kid, I remember there being a musical element. Um, and my, my mom tells a funny story that, you know, most kids go to sleep to lullabies or, you know, they, we had records when, when I was a, a child and um, the, the record I had to go to sleep to was um, Rosanna. So Toto's Rosanna, which is like, a, you know, for drummers, Jeff Beccaro and that Rosanna beat is such a big thing. But I was, of course, like a two year old insisting on listening to that song over and over again. And my mom says she would sneak into the room and move the needle back, you know, so it would play continuously. So I wouldn't wake up and ask for it. But oh, my God. Um, yeah, so I definitely just gravitated toward drums from a young age and um, started lessons when I was about 10. Started playing, uh, I took snare drum lessons for a couple of years, was in the marching band and 
got into the jazz band and um but i always loved um classic rock music and then i got into hard rock music and i was in a a hard rock cover band in high school and then into college what was your band's name my band's name was scarecrow yes (laughs) it was after the ministry song scarecrow oh my god that is amazing Yeah. So, so yeah. it, it totally helps that you have a practical understanding of the instrument itself. I would think your job would be way more difficult if you didn't speak a drummer's language. For sure. Yeah, it's definitely it's a great connector. You know, um, there's a lot of trust that has to happen with these drummers. They want to know that um, I can speak their language and understand them. Um, so that's it's a it's a great thing to have that background um, already, you know, set the foundation. And then we end up just developing a nice like relationship. The, these drummers are, you know, they, they turn into friends and family and you know how it is, you know, you just um, and then the trust is there. So but I also understand what it's like to work in the music business as a as a woman and that yes. there just aren't that many. And it's one of those things where you really have to be able to back up almost. And I wonder if it's a it's a pressure that we put on ourselves to a certain extent that we feel like we need to make sure that all of the guys that are around us know that we're qualified to have the job that we have. (laughs) And, you know, there's been very few instances in my entire career that me being a woman caused friction. You know, mm-hmm. and, and it really kind of takes an asshole to, yeah. you know, to make it a thing. I, I, it's been very few. And, you know, when the Me Too movement started, people were like, oh, you must have some crazy stories. But for the most part, I don't because I just always worked really hard and I knew what the hell I was talking about most of the time. Mm-hmm. And do you feel that way, too? For sure. Yes, I, I definitely, you know, I grew up um, starting to play from a young age. I was always the the only female, the only female in the drum line, the only female in the band, um, the, you know, the bands that I played in and then in this industry. Um, so yes, I definitely felt right from the beginning, like, um, speak up when you know what you're talking about. Um, keep your eyes and your ears open, listen and learn everything you can. And I think, I think that attitude caused me to, you know, work hard, really hard, work as hard as possible, get as much knowledge as possible. Um, But similarly, you know, I haven't had, I I think maybe because that's been my attitude that I didn't let, um, I didn't let it really kind of affect um, my, my experiences in the industry. I was like, okay, well, I'm the only female. That's just the way it is. And just push forward and, um, you know, kind of, put it in the background, I guess, in a lot of ways. And it's interesting now because it's after the Me Too movement, more women coming into this industry. Um, it's been a an interesting flip where I feel like more of a mentor to the next generation because they're seeing that it's possible and that, you know, for you and I, we didn't have that really to, to look at. So um, I feel a little bit responsible for making sure that these other young women are, um, you know, are staying strong and, and, um, you know, kind of looking at it from that perspective, like just keep, 
keep pushing forward, keep doing what you're doing, gain as much knowledge as you can. Are you noticing an uptick in (laughs) in girls playing the drums? Absolutely, yes. And and playing, um, you know, playing at the professional level, um, it seemed like for a while there were a lot of young girls playing, but then, you know, they would kind of drop off and and we wouldn't see them kind of uh, follow through to the to the professional level. But I think, you know, social media has been a factor in letting young women have a, a platform or giving them a platform for um, getting themselves out there, which has been amazing. Um, and I'm seeing more young women playing and and you know, playing at the professional level. I just had a conversation this morning with a young woman from Poland. We did a Zoom call um, and she was saying that, you know, she's she feels like she's working twice as hard and she's um, she's trying to not let the the uh, criticism, you know, because when you put yourself out there, a lot of times um, as as a woman, you're subject to comments about your looks and your, you know, um, yeah, nobody cared what like, John Bonham looked like when he was playing right. the drums. Nobody cared. <laughs> it's so true. It is so true. Um, so yeah, again, I just gave her the advice, like, keep, keep pushing, keep doing what you're doing. It's working. You're getting out there. You're doing your thing. And I think with um, just more encouragement um, and just seeing that it's possible and, and having some role models. I think that's the most important thing. But I love um, those videos that people are putting up of their kids playing drums mm-hmm. at home. And there you see like an eight-year-old kid just slaying stuff. And you're like, oh my God, how yes. did you do that? Yeah, <laughs> it's incredible. There's a, there's a little boy, um, baby boy drummer. He's out in California. If you... Uh, have a chance to look him up. And then there's a young um, young girl in London, Mandy Bushell, who is killing it. She is like, she posts, um, she plays like the Foo Fighters and, you know, Dave Grohl's commenting and Questlove is commenting. And um, and she's just this kid who, who's fantastically talented, um, really great kid and good parents. And I think that's an important part of it too. But yeah, the kid's Kids coming up are like extra talented nowadays. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, but. Something in the water. Something. Well, it does help. (laughs) You know, you talk about somebody like Questlove or Dave Grohl. That mentorship, not only from women in the industry like you, but also the the peer acceptance Mm -hmm. from the great male drummers that are out there. I really do feel like it helps that, that, you know, that you get a guy like Dave Grohl or you know, any big famous drummer that goes, no, 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 girls can play the drums too, dude. And then all of a sudden mm-hmm. everybody goes, oh, okay. Yeah. Maybe girls can play the drums. Absolutely. I think, I think that's, you hit the nail on the head right there. That's incredibly important. Um, one, just a real quick story. One, one of my first experiences at Zildjian coming into the company, being a young woman, um, Roy Haynes was there. Roy Haynes is a, um, really famous jazz musician, very highly respected. And I was very nervous to meet him. Um, he asked me to come and help him pick a ride symbol. And I was like nervous, shaking nervous, you know, but I helped him. I picked some things that I thought sounded good, put them up on the stands for him and he tapped them. And he was like, you have a great ear. This is, these are fantastic. I think I'm going to pick this one. And 
Um, and then he said, you know, you're, I know you're new to this, but you're, you're going to, you're going to be great. And your ears are fantastic. I think, you know, in my profession, hearing that you have good ears is, is a really high compliment, but. Especially um, from a, a, a jazz musician of his caliber. Legend, yeah. Right? Yes, exactly. So then, it, you know, things like that really made me realize, okay, you know, I'm going to do this and, and I can be good at this. And, um, since then, just, just gaining the, the, the trust from a lot of these musicians, you know, hearing that Ringo Starr loves the symbols that I pick from him for him and um, musicians like that. It definitely makes a difference and and, you know, solidifies your your spot and what you're doing. For anybody that's listening to this podcast that is not a drummer, but is a huge fan of music, which a lot of people that listen to this podcast are. When you're looking at your favorite drummer from the crowd, these Zildjian symbols are the ones with the giant Z's on them. And Sarah, when you're talking about a ride symbol versus a hi-hat versus something else, can you, for a standard kind of rock and roll drum set, can you just kind of go around what would be in your kit or something to explain what those different symbols look like and how they function so that someone can imagine the drummers they've watched and kind of understand the symbols that you're talking about. And I realize that for the musicians that are listening to this right now, they're like, oh my God, are you <laughs> kidding? But I think that there's a lot of people that are really interested in it, but just don't have the musical knowledge. So I just kind of want sure. you to go through and give a brief explanation. No problem. So usually if you're a right-handed drummer and you're sitting down on the throne with the drums in front of you, to your left side, you'll have a hi-hat cymbal. Um, and so that will be on a stand with a foot pedal. Um, so those are two cymbals that sit together, one on the top and one on the bottom. And when they close, they make a chick sound, or you can hit them with the stick and make a nice, you know, hi-hat sound, we call it. Um, and then typically in front of you around the kit, you'll have an array of crash cymbals. And, you know, it, Typical rock drum setup could have two or three cymbals. Um, if you're a, a drummer like Mike Mangini, for instance, our friend Mike, you'll have a thousand. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, what did you think of the cymbals that we built for him in the AAF studio? I'm assuming oh you saw goodness. that video. I with, did. <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> if they didn't sound very good. No, it was, that was such a great, such a great video. Yeah. Um, Listeners should check that out for sure because that was entertaining. And Mike is a character. Um, Mike plays with Dream Theater, Mike Mangini. And um, he's just, he's such a, such a great human. Unbelievably and, um, technically talented. Again, yes. a local guy. Played yes. in Extreme for a bit as well. Was an instructor at Berkeley. Nobody can say mm -hmm. he doesn't know what he's doing. Yes. And actually, he's a great example of someone who... Um, just a side story here, but when he was auditioning for Dream Theater and it was super high secret, you know, secret squirrel audition, um, he came in to Zildjian and we spent a good, I want to say three hours picking his cymbal setup for just for that audition because he has such a specific sound and he wanted the cymbals to sound right for the music. So we had so much fun with that. 
on the down low and I couldn't <laughs> say anything about it. <laughs> it was great. So um, most so rock yes. kits have like two or three crash symbols. Mike's got yes. a thousand or somebody like, you know, Neil Peart from Rush would have had yes. just this array of stuff. But so many for a standard yes. kind of rock kit. And then yeah, continuing around the, the drum set. Yeah. Yeah. And then to your right hand side, typically a little bit lower, you'd have a ride symbol. So that's the symbol that you're going to spend the most time on in a song. The ride and the hi hat get the most attention um, typically. So the ride symbol is usually the biggest symbol. It's a, a heavier symbol, and you're going to get some, um, you know, the, the ping in the song, the good um ride you're gonna ride on it basically and kind of drive the music with that symbol um and then from there a lot of drummers use effect symbols so they'll have a china symbol a lot of metal music you know you'll hear china symbol um, and that's a symbol that has a lip on it so it's a little bit flatter profile than a regular symbol and it has a lip at the end and it gives um they usually kind hang of nice, it kind of upside down right yes yes a lot of a lot of players most players use it upside down and that'll be kind of a higher symbol up a little bit higher than the than the ride symbol typically that's kind of like your average setup but um uh splash symbols are the small ones just accents um we have a lot of drummers actually in like hard rock and metal music use bells they're like the we call them zill bells but they're little little bells that are very, um, uh, there it's an accent, but it's, it's really loud. Can you talk about some of the rock and metal drummers that play your cymbals that, um, that people would recognize these drum sounds coming from? Yeah. Um, Jay Weinberg from Slipknot, he's a, a big Zildjian player. So, and you hear a lot of cymbals in, in that music. There's a lot of um, everything in Slipknot music. A lot music. of everything. <laughs> yes. Yes. In fact, I think, no, that's not where, that's not where I met you, but I did see you at that show. Yeah. Um, when is Zildjian going to make kegs for clown and like, when, yeah, when are you guys going to start making <laughs> kegs in the foundry? Signature Zildjian kegs. That's I like that idea. <laughs> that's, we'll give you credit for that. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. <laughs> we will make them purple. purple yes. Kegs, right? <laughs> and actually purple, not just sounding purple. Yes, yeah. Sound purple and look purple. Yes, I love it. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, Matt Griner from August Burns Red. Um, we have we definitely have a lot of like uh, heavy, heavy rock, classic rock, hair band music, a lot of Zildjian. Back in the day, Zildjian was like the only symbol, um, symbol choice out there. So um, you know, Tommy Lee uses Zildjian and, um, um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of hard rock, um, and, you know, classic rock drummers. I don't think when the company started almost 400 years ago that they could have ever even imagined what the evolution would be. And part of the reason why I wanted to talk to you was because the story and the history of Zildjian symbols, which is now in its 15th generation still owned by the family is unbelievable so do you mind going back to the very beginning of zildjian symbols and kind of where and how the company started and talk about the evolution because i just think it is absolutely fascinating of course i one of the favorite things for me to do is give factory tours and the history of the company just 
um, it, it is, it's fascinating. Um, so I mentioned earlier, almost 400 years old, uh, the company was established in 1623 in Turkey, in Istanbul, Turkey. Um, Avidus the first, Avidus Zildjian the first, he was the one who started the company and he was a metallurgist and he was actually trying to create uh, an artificial gold. He was mixing metals together. He was an a into alchemy, gold. right? Yeah, he was, yeah, into alchemy, yep. Um, and he ended up creating this alloy that he realized was very musical and that if he rolled it out thinner, it created this cymbal sound that didn't exist at the time. Cymbals at the time were more kind of brash and dark sounding. And he had created this kind of bright, beautiful sound. Um, so he took his discovery to the Sultan at the palace and the Sultan asked him to come and live at the palace and make symbols for the Janissary bands at the time, which were like the, the war and the entertainment bands. And he did, he lived there for 10 years making symbols. Um, and he eventually asked to be released from that obligation so that he could start his business. And that was when he started Zildjian in 1623. And the Sultan actually gave him the name Zildjian, which means son of a symbol maker. Wow. Yeah. So, so he went off and he started creating hand symbols for symphonies and orchestras. Um, and, you know, shipping trade routes opened and he was able to ship um, to different countries. And Zildjian became known as this really beautiful um, orchestral symbol. Um, the company was passed down from generation to generation. The oldest male took on the company for generations. And then um, in the early 1920s, the company was owned by Aram Zildjian and it was time to pass the company along. He didn't have a male heir that was ready to take it on. So he wrote a letter to his nephew in America. Um, Avidus III had relocated to America uh, he owned a candy business. He was running a candy business. And so, and he was successful at that. Um, Aram wrote him the letter saying it was his turn to take on the company business. And he made a deal with Aram to bring the business to America. So that's how Zildjian came over to America with um, Avidus III when he took on the business. That was in 1929. And he just happened to live in Massachusetts. That's how the business got yeah. here? Exactly. He lived in Quincy, Massachusetts, and the company was set up in a factory in Quincy. And um, yeah, that's how the company came to America. It's, it's pretty interesting. He, he, he uh, simultaneously ran his candy business and the symbol factory at the same time, which I think was probably a smart thing uh, business-wise. And then when it took off, um, because it was the jazz era, you know, they, they essentially started a business in America in the Depression, which is a pretty, pretty scary prospect, but jazz music had taken off and um, Avidus was very smart. He started making symbols for the drum set, which hadn't been done in the past. And that's, um, that's how you came, that's how like the ride symbol and the hi-hat symbol came to be. Those names were actually um, trademarked by the company way back in the day. One of the things that I thought was really interesting in the history of the, of the the company and, and just symbol making in general, when you talk about the jazz era, um, America was not a very tolerant society. Mm -hmm. And one of the reasons why in a depression era that the company was able to grow is because Zildjian embraced African-American musicians in a time when that was not 
something that I would assume would have been very welcomed. Right. Yeah. Um, the the halls of Zildjian are filled with these amazing photos and, you know, these black and white photos from back in the day. And you see these drummers um, with Avidus and with his son, Armand, who ended up taking on the business um, as the next generation. But you see these pictures of them partnering together, posing together and making symbols in the factory together. Um, and, you know, in this day and age, it doesn't seem like such a, 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 um, a, I don't even know what the right word is, but it doesn't seem like out of the realm of possibility, I guess. Um, but you think about the time back then, and yes, it was definitely um, a totally different time. And Avidus and Armand, um, they recognized the fact that these African-Americans were pioneering this new kind of music and partnering with them was, you know, it, it was going to push music into the, where it needed to go, basically. Um, these artists, these drummers created these sounds with the company, which is just amazing. You know, the, the sounds that the company developed over the years. Um, and they're, and it kind, of, it kind of broke down that wall. It broke down the the racial barrier that wasn't there in music. And I, I think that that's something that's true to today. You know, it's uh, music unites. It doesn't matter if there's no, there's no color um, except the, the color of sound, like we talked about earlier, but there's no, there's no color when it comes to music and, you know, you, it unites people together in a way that I think nothing else does. When you talk about the, the start of it and making symbols for the Sultan and then starting mm -hmm. a business, um, the, the music evolved, right? So you're going from orchestras and classical composers, and then there was all of the, the military bands and all of that stuff. I believe this is the first time the Ottoman Empire has ever been brought up on the Mistress Carrie podcast. <laughs> but the symbol company before it came to America, I mean, it was already a th almost 300-year-old company before it came here. Mm -hmm. And then it comes here, jazz starts, and then the biggest music nerd moment for me, and you brought up Ringo earlier, is rock and roll gets brought overseas in the form of the Fab Four. Mm -hmm. And yes. people watch Ringo Starr playing Zildjian cymbals on the Ed Sullivan show, which there is in the timeline of rock and roll there is a line in the sand of that ed sullivan show mm -hmm. and there was life before the ed sullivan performance of the beatles and after can you talk Agreed. about what happened that night and how it changed not only rock music but what it did for zildjian yes i would say there's zildjian before that and there's zildjian after that just like you just said um that that show launched the company into a whole other level as far as business goes. It it actually left the company with 90,000 symbols on back order. So if you can imagine, that was in 60, 1964? Yeah, I think you're right, 1964. Um, and 
so 90,000 symbols on back order, right? It's like, how many were they making at that time? I don't know. I don't know, but I would say, I would, I would guess hundreds a day, hundreds a day, probably. Yeah. Not, not anywhere near what it would take to catch up to that. So uh, the company had to open a new facility. Um, So moved from Quincy to Norwell and created this new factory and in turn had the need to um, make symbols differently, to make symbols um, in bigger batches and with um, higher quality because, you know, if you're making small batches of symbols, it's easy to kind of um, have the quality that you want as a company, uh, making symbols in, in bigger batches and many more a day. So um, they had to up all all the measures, change manufacturing, um, get machines in there like you saw when you came to visit. And um, so it changed the company overnight. It really did. And um, and made Zildjian a household name, just like with Ludwig. You know, he played that Ludwig drum kit and Ludwig went into the same same, you know, happy business problems, basically, you know, and you don't want to ever be on back order, but it's a better problem to have than the opposite. Well, anybody that's ever made cookies around Christmas, you know, you can bake a batch of cookies and you can get them all perfect. Mm -hmm. But, you know, at Christmas time, when you're making your Christmas cookies and you're making 15 or 20 dozen cookies, you're going to screw up one or two. It's harder to keep that level of quality with every single one. I think it's really ironic that Ringo Starr has always taken so much flack He's been the punchline of a lot of Beatles jokes over the mm-hmm. years. And I don't think he gets the credit in in mass society for being the inspirational drummer, an influential drummer that he really is to drummers. Right. You think about the number of people. And I have this conversation often with people. How did you start drumming? Who got you into drumming? The number of people that credit Ringo with starting their drumming journey it's amazing, right? Um, I personally, I started being really interested in playing a kid after seeing Dennis Chambers, a video of Dennis Chambers playing. Um, it was a Zildjian Day video. Um, but for me, you know, seeing him play on the screen, it changed my life. It influenced me in a way where I was like, that's what I want to do with my life. Um, but before that, you know, people didn't see drumming on television or drumming in that way. And I think Ringo, like, he brought a whole new style of playing and um, a new flair and the popularity of the band just added to it. Um, So, yeah, I mean, I think you have to recognize what people bring to the table, even if it's not your favorite or something that you're into. Um, And that's what I say a lot when we talk about social media influencer drummers, because that's something that's popped up over the the course of the last you know few years really and it's it's become a thing um and they get a lot of flack you know oh but you're not in a band and you're not playing on these tours and but what they're bringing to the table is really important in the whole timeline of drumming history so um so yeah Ringo definitely deserves the respect I have always answered the question of who's your favorite band all time and I always say the Beatles um, like you, I, th- I think you and I have a lot of uh, a lot of similarities, although you were given the gift of musical ability and I was not. But we both grew up in 
um, homes that valued music, where music was always present, even though our parents were not musical. And the Beatles, I just remember being the soundtrack to my childhood. Mm-hmm. Just learning about, I remember listening to the White Album on 8-track in front of my parents' giant hutch stereo system, just being like, what is this? And right. I really credit the Beatles with inspiring my love of music, which has obviously taken me on the life journey that I'm on right now. And it it has been a quest of mine because there are only two Beatles left to mm-hmm. be able to meet and, oh my God, maybe someday interview a Beatle I am assuming that you've spent time with Ringo. What was that like for you? I've spent a little bit. Um, He is, you know, he's surrounded. He has a lot of people that surround him. He's a beetle. Um, He is a beetle. (laughs) Um, But I have spent, I've met him and I've spent a little bit of time. Um, But, you know, very reserved, very quiet. a gentleman, you know, reminds me a lot of um, Charlie Watts, very similar in their, you know, they're, they're gentlemen, right? They grew up in the, in the age of, um, of just being more reserved, I think. And, and they um, have a reserved style of playing as well, where mm-hmm. these guys are kind of sitting behind the kit. And they're not the big flashy Tommy Lee on a roller coaster explosions going off kind of drummers. Right. And so I think sometimes they get overlooked as far as their influence goes. But any true musician, any fan of the, those bands know that they are what's holding it all together in the back. Absolutely. Yes. I think it's a, the, the drum chair is a it's a, an interesting place to be. And I think a lot of drummers, um, we have this community of supporting each other because it's not a it's not as much of a competition i think between each other it's a place where you're behind the band you're driving the band you're keeping everything together you're not right out front in the limelight all the time um so it's it takes a certain personality to do that i think um but then you know you do have drummers who um who make the band as well um the flashy you know upside down roller coaster drummers (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> so the the company's back ordered 90,000 symbols after the Beatles perform on the Ed Sullivan show. Mm-hmm. And then the era of rock and roll just steamrolls the world. Um can you talk about some of those heyday rock and roll era mm-hmm. moments and how Zildjian was involved with that? Yes. So, you know, as soon as um the big tours started and rock kind of took over. Um, we needed to make symbols that projected more so that would be heard over these big crowds. Um, and in that time period, miking and sound systems just weren't what they are now. So we made symbol lines that would um, would fit that requirement. We had the, the Z customs that came out um, really big bells on the symbols. We had the mega bell symbol, and um, it just really worked for for what was needed in music at that time. Um, one of the things we always say at the company is follow the music, and um, so you know, paying attention to what is needed out there, working with the artists to make sure that we're 
making the next big thing. That's a pretty good example of that is the, the Z custom line. Um, and then as music started to change slightly from the big, big, heavy um, sounds and the need for that projection as miking and sound systems got a little bit better, we developed the A custom symbol in the early 90s. And you can hear those symbols on like Pearl Jam records, Soundgarden records. Um, um, a lot of the a lot of the sounds of that time used a custom. Um, those were the symbols when I started drumming that were like the big deal, the big deal symbols. You wanted to have a customs, um, and they were just a little bit thinner and a little bit um, you know you could get a little bit more sound out of them musically. They had more. A range in tonal quality. And so um, that's kind of the direction that the company moved in at that point um, as music was changing. Um, and then, like I alluded to earlier, talking about Kings of Leon and the darker sounds, that's, that's kind of the next step in music. Drummers started playing bigger, thinner cymbals. We've had, we have drummers who play um, all you know, thin ride cymbals as crashes, you know, big, thin cymbals um, on their kits. And, and a lot of the musical styles changed and, you know, arenas, country music started being played in arenas and all over the, the country. And so, um, yeah, as music changed, we kind of, we kind of adjust with it, basically. Well, I think it's important for people to understand it's not the microphones that make it sound that way. Like, and part of the reason why the Beatles stopped touring was because they didn't have PA systems and microphones big enough and loud enough to be heard over thousands of screaming teenage girls. Right. And, and you know, music, when you're talking about follow the music, the, the technology behind live performance lagged behind the demand for live performance. Mm-hmm. And they really had to invent big, good sounding PA systems and microphones that could handle, you know, making the music sound better and separating all of those sounds. Because even though a drum set is loud as hell, it still needs to be mic'd for it to sound the way that it sounds to you coming out of the speakers. I know a lot of people maybe haven't been able to sit through a sound check, but you and I have sat through more than our fair share. And when you listen to a drum set with no microphones in an empty arena, it -hmm. doesn't sound good Mm -hmm. (laughs) because there's just so much echo and, you know, things are bouncing off of those empty rooms. Mm -hmm. Things sound different when it's a room full of people. And it sounds different when all of the other instruments are plugged in. And so that technology really needed to evolve to be able to replicate what music sounds like in a recording studio versus what it sounds like when you actually go and hear it live. So true. Absolutely. And I know you've had the experience too at these big arenas during soundcheck and or before soundcheck where they're piping in the the white noise and trying to like get the frequencies. I'm not sure, (laughs) I'm not sure how this all works, but I've been there um, where I'm like, what is that noise? What is going on? Um, The technology behind it is so serious as there's just so much that goes into it now. 
Um, but yeah, you end up with this really incredible sound. And I think it makes it more amazing when you think back to music like Led Zeppelin, that that sound was so good. Everything about that was so good. And it's just, you know, it makes it even more magic to me. I always say like, I'm always striving for like John Bonham's drum sound, you know, but like it, things were so different back then. Just just being able to get that kick drum sound, mm -hmm. that John Bonham kick drum sound. It's like that is in the Mount Rushmore of drum sounds, I think, for most drummers that that yes. he just had this sound of his kit that if you go and listen to any Zeppelin record and you just listen to the drums, even without knowing who it is, you go, oh, that's Bonham. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. You talk about that experience, you know, listening to the Beatles and looking at the hutch. And I think back to my childhood and it was it was filled with a lot of Led Zeppelin. And, um, you know, you kind of recognize from a young age what that is, you know, even if you don't know yet what it is that you can feel it. There's something about it. I can remember, you know, smells from my childhood and experiences. And it's always always about the music. And when I hear that music again, it brings me right back there. You know, what's really interesting is that there are people that live life every day that don't value music in that way in their daily lives. You know, I've talked about it before. Like my boyfriend is one of those people. Mm -hmm. He likes music, enjoys it, but he doesn't live for it the way right. that other people do. And I think for people like you and I, we just can't fathom living without it and and, right. and the influence that it has over almost every moment of every day and how, you know, I look back at memories in my life and I can remember what records I was listening to at that time. And 100%. It's so yes. crazy to me that there are people that don't, look at their lives that way. Yeah, yeah. I don't I understand. It's like they speak I a different know. language, right? <laughs> right. How does that work? I don't get it. No, I'm I am right there with you. I mean, there are so many musical moments that um, have have been so impactful to me so many times where I've like discovered another meaning to a song. You know, you go through heartbreak in your life. You listen to a song that you've heard so many times up until that point and you listen to it again in the midst of your heartbreak and you're like, oh my goodness, I had no idea that, you know, it means this and it has all these other layers to it. And um, yeah, so, and then you think about like how people were feeling when they wrote this music and all of those, all of those levels. I love it. those um, memes that are like, we can get through anything. If Fleetwood Mac can record rumors, then we can live through anything. <laughs> right. And to a no, non-music fan, they don't know what that means. <laughs> they don't know I, what that means. I know. I know. So I know. It's. Oh, go yeah. ahead. No, I was just going to say, you know, I I have music for different things in my life, different things that are happening. I have music that I listen to when I need to concentrate, you know, which is it's funny. My friends think it's hysterical. I always listen to Tool when I need to concentrate on something. It's always like my go to. I mean, listen to Tool all the time. But, but that's speaking just of amazing my... technical giant drum kit drummers, I mean, Danny Carey is just a, a yes. monster. Yes, he is. He is. I Tool and, and Zeppelin are definitely my way high up, you know, top top of the Mount Rushmore of of bands for me. But I 
Um, and Danny actually, um, he had a, he had an influence over me being here at this point in my life. Um, I wrote to him when I was a teenager, when I was a young drummer, I sent him a letter, like hand wrote him a letter, which is so crazy to say, but I was struggling with improvising because I was a big snare drum player and, um, which is just all structure. Yeah, when you're Structure, talking about yes. marching bands and jazz, that it's just, there's no room for any f- fun. It's like, this is what you do. It's very strict, <laughs> well, structured. Yeah, I mean, music, when you're learning to read music, it's very like, it's almost math oriented, right? And um, yeah, so it is very filled with structure. And I had I had been invited into the uh, combo band, which is like a jazz band with lots of improvisation. And I was struggling. I was like, but I need music. I need to be reading something. And um, I read an article with Danny where Danny wrote about how he was a snare player. And he also like getting into imp- improvising was it didn't come naturally immediately to him. Um, so I wrote him a letter because that's what you do when you're in your 15 year old mind, like write somebody a letter. And <laughs> I asked for some advice on that. And he wrote back to me, um, which was incredibly uh, life-changing for me because his advice was fantastic and um, helped me. And years later, um, you know, I, I know him through the industry, but I never said anything. I never t- I never said anything to him about writing him that letter. And I did. I finally told him about it last fall when I saw him when they were touring. And he was like, I can't believe I can't believe it. I only ever wrote back to just a few people. And like, and he changed your life. He changed my life. Yeah. Yeah. And I always think about that when when talking to younger kids or people who are trying to break in to the industry, whether it's as a musician or on, you know, the the um, industry side of it, just um, trying to make sure that they feel like, you know, they're they're supported and getting some good advice and It's really important. You can change someone's life. You work in artist relations for Zildjian and you talk about the evolution of the products and how you follow the music. You've had to create a product that can withstand not only the abuse it takes during the performance, but being taken apart, put back together, moved around. Can you talk about some of the emergency calls that you might get from some of the musicians that you work with and they're out on the road somewhere and they're like, oh my God, we have a problem. Yes. Yeah, I do. I call those symbol emergencies. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Um, One of the things that we like to do is when we have, when we have a big tour happening, um, provide backups because that happens, you know, someone will be on the road and they break something and, you know, they need they need a replacement immediately. And like we talked about, the sound is very important to these drummers. Um, our cymbals are made, they're handmade. And so one doesn't sound exactly like the next one. That's how we make them because we want people to really choose their sound. So each cymbal has a range that's acceptable for that cymbal. So a sound range basically. Um, but I know that certain artists like a darker sounding A symbol or a thinner version of a K Constantinople. And so all of our drummers um, have their own signature sounds and what they're hearing in their ears and what they want. So it's better for us to provide some backups on the road just in case that happens. 
then they can call and say, hey, I broke my main and I'm on my backup. Can I swap this one out for a new one? And they end up sending the broken one back and we um, we chop it up and recycle it. So I was going to ask um, you what you guys do with the old broken ones. Yeah. So we have a great recycling program. The factory is as green as possible. Everything gets recycled. Um, in the process of making symbols, there's some scrap metal that comes off and that's remelted and made into new symbols. And then the symbols that come back that are broken from our artists, we remelt those and make them into new symbols as well. So you could have a, a, a broken crash symbol from Tommy Lee's Girls, Girls, Girls tour. Yes. And a piece of that is now in a Kings of Leon recording or yeah. So like oh, Ringo Starr's old drums and cymbals, I mean, are, are still alive and well recycled in some of the symbols that are being used today. Yes. Well, Ringo has most of his. Does <laughs> he, he really? Most of his symbols. Yes. Even the bro. Um, he keeps the broken ones. Well, not not broken ones. I, he doesn't really break. He doesn't really break symbols. Yeah. Um, but no. But his his initial like symbols that he that he had he has all those, um, which is amazing. But um, but yeah, really, you have you know symbols made today are made with recycled metal because it's the same makeup. It's a, a um, 80% copper, 20% tin, and traces of silver that go into the, the melt. Now, when I went to the factory, I was allowed to see a lot of things. And then the metal gets melted down and does thing, and then it goes into a room. Mm -hmm. And then it comes back out. And what happens in that room, I was not allowed to see. And I was told yeah. that it is a family secret. So you work at Zildjian and have been there for what, 15 years now? Yeah, this is my 16th year. I, have you been allowed in that room? I have not been in the room. Um, <laughs> I've been, I have been past that door. I have, I've been into the exterior of that area um, in that room, but I do not know the secret. Um, there are only five people alive today that actually know the family secret. So um, the two family members, and then there are three um three uh, melt room workers who work in there and actually do the melt. Um, but the secret, it's interesting because it's not, people think it's like the symbol, the metal makeup that's in the symbol. But, um, you know, as I just said, the percentages are known. But yeah, you can buy a symbol and go melt it down if you really wanted to find out you what could. was in there and figure it exactly. out. Exactly. Yeah. And they're actually really interesting. We have one of these it's like a, a scanner gun almost, but you can you can check the metal pr uh, content of anything with the scanner gun. It's super cool. Um, I would just you you know just walk around scanning things. But um, the 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 secret is the the process. You know, it's the process of when the metals are mixed together and how they are heated and the temperature at which they're heated and poured. So it's the actual process of the melt that is that secret. Um, we talked a lot about the, the history of the company, and I brought up earlier the fact that you were a female drummer. And part of the reason why I asked those questions is there was a distinct break in Zildjian tradition that happened where the company was no longer passed down to the eldest male in the family. Can you talk about mm -hmm. that change in the company and where the company's at now? Yes. So in 1999, the company was passed from Armand Zildjian to his oldest daughter, Craigie Zildjian, 
So that was the first time in the history of the company that the company had been owned by a female. And Craigie runs the company with her sister, Debbie, and they both have daughters and their daughters have daughters. So it's, um, it's interesting. It's now the 16th generation of the company has been born. And, um, so, you know, the family business part of it will be, will be run by females for, for the next couple of generations. Um, and so, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's really a culture of, um, inclusivity, you know, um, being at this business, seeing it change through the years. Um, we have, we have women in the executive team now, um, besides the family. And so it's a great thing. Um, and then, you know, we have the next generation. So, uh, Debbie's oldest daughter, Katie is now in the family. She's on the board of directors. And so she's, um, you know, she's involved in everything now. The, when I came down to the studio, Craigie and Debbie signed a, a, a symbol for me. And as the music fan that I am, that gift, their autographed symbol, I have it hanging in MCHQ because it meant, it's, it, it really does feel like part of this rock and roll history. I mean, how many, they, it's the longest family run company in the United States, right? Yes, there is. There's one other. Um, there's one other family-run business that's a farm um, somewhere in the U.S. But it's, I think, the longest family-run business. Um, like manufacturing so, business. Manufacturing business. Yes, exactly. That's what it is. Um, yeah, and it's incredible to think about. I, I keep as, as long as this virus is under control, we'll have a have a real big celebration in a few years to celebrate 400 years. Well, before I before I let you go, you talk about the virus and, and how people are stuck at home. And this might not be a time where people would want to encourage their children to learn how to play the drums because they're stuck at home with them. Yeah. <laughs> can you can you give some advice to these parents and maybe talk about some of the technology that you guys have available that might help these parents encourage their kids to play the drums while being stuck at home through the coronavirus? Yes, yeah, I understand that struggle. I really do. Everybody's in the house together. Sound is not a thing that uh, is easily isolated. Um, but we do have low volume symbols and they are fantastic. I have them here at my house. They're called the LV series for low volume and um, they are truly 80% quieter than an, a regular symbol. So, um, and they sound and they feel like symbols. So it's not like you're hitting a pad or something that's not really, doesn't really feel great. Um, Remo company makes silent stroke drum heads and they're like a mesh material. So you put those on the drums and they're so quiet. Um, so, and I have those also, so it makes life so much better. So I would say if your kids are interested in playing, encourage it because it is, it's not only something that um, teaches them discipline and to work hard at something, but it's also, you know, it is life-changing, you know, music in someone's life can, can mean so much at so many different times. Um, so I would always encourage music. Um, so yeah, there's ways to have a, a quieter kit. And then there's so many, this is, this is the amazing thing about this time. 
that we're living in right now is that so many of these artists, these drummers, these musicians um, playing all instruments who would normally be on the road right now or recording or super busy, um, they are giving lessons. They are doing clinics. They're doing master classes, uh, YouTube videos. It's like no other time to start learning something because you have these amazing teachers who normally would not have time to teach. Um, and then plus you have, you know, the resources that are normally available for um, teaching are really great. If you even look on, you know, zildjian.com or you go just go on YouTube and look up drum lessons, you'll find some really great resources for kids. Are you good at math and do you speak another language? Because they say that it's the same part of the brain. They do, yeah. So I am a math person. Yes, I, I knew am one it. Of those like weird. <laughs> like, I knew it. I love, I love math. Um, um, and I do. I speak um, Spanish, not as good as I used to, but but math is definitely my thing for sure. Because that might help parents to identify a kid that that could have real musical ability. I took Spanish classes and could not retain it. I am not good at math and I have no musical ability. And so I really do feel like, you know, if your kid's sitting around playing with numbers or they pick up language, like there's probably musical potential there. And, and, and right now there's probably a better chance to teach these kids music because unfortunately the music programs in schools have been cut so much that now you might actually be able to inspire your kids to pick up an instrument. I agree. I think there's, you know, we've never lived in this situation before, none of us, but there are some, you know, really, um, po really amazing advantages and positives if you think about it like that, where we're home, we're focusing. Um, so many of the musicians I talk to are having time to do the things that they have never had time for, um, record those albums and write those books. And I think it's a good time for us also to be thinking about those things. What did we always want to do but had no time for and with kids you know having them them focus on something that's creative and again you know also has them focused on something that that you know is is uh, a challenge and that teaches them hard work and perseverance because it isn't easy um but and it'll it physically tire them out too that is true especially <laughs> drumming yeah. yeah that's true i just realized when i said i had two zildjian symbols here in mchq i realized I lied. There's a third one up there and I want to bring it up before you go. When they did the groundbreaking for the new Hard Rock down at Faneuil Hall, if you've been at the Hard Rock and you go into that bar and you see that whole wall of symbols, those are all Zildjian symbols. And I was asked to take part in the groundbreaking with Daryl McDaniels from Run DMC and a bunch of other people. And rather than use shovels, we smashed guitars on the front steps. And to commemorate being part of the groundbreaking of that hard rock, we were given small Zildjian symbols as a thank you for taking part in that day. And it's up on the shelf behind me. I just Yay. realized it was up there. I remember that. I remember that I was there because um, we had... We, we gathered all the symbols for that wall. I remember that was a project. It was a lot of symbols. It's beautiful <laughs> though. It looks awesome. Yeah. It is really cool. Yeah. Well, Sarah, yeah. I really appreciate your time. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today. I just, if people go to zildjian.com, there is an about the company section where you can really go through the timeline of the family business and 
the different eras and it it's like a history lesson it's just really really fascinating and then can you can you talk about all of the different social media accounts and all the different places that people can go to either watch these clinics or you know just talk about all of the yes. other stuff that you guys have going on absolutely so zildjian.com is our website um, we have an educational content uh, component that's coming soon so watch for that but you can join the Z Club on there, put your email address in and you'll get exclusive content, links to watch uh, things before they're released. Um, our YouTube channel is the place to go, just YouTube Zildjian Company. It's, um, we have, we're releasing these big productions called Zildjian Live, one per month. And um, that's been really fun. Um, and a lot of like interviews surrounding that. And then social media is at Zildjian Company on Instagram. That's really the place to follow us. Um, we have lots of new content released all the time on there. And I do a lot of the um, Instagram live Q&As with our artists that are fun. Um, so we have a blast with that. Hopefully some more of those coming up soon. And there's, um, this so, yeah. is a big time for creativity right now, is it? I think there's going to be an amazing wave. I know you guys work with Travis Barker and yes. Blink-182 just came out with the new song because of yeah. all of the lockdown and stuff. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. Be on the lookout for some new things, uh, new collaborations with Travis too. Um, and yes, um, it is, it's an amazingly creative time and to see people um, creating with what they have in these circumstances is, it's pretty fantastic. Thank you so much for hanging out with me. I'm, I'm such a huge fan of the family story and, and of music in general. And I just find it so hard to imagine the rock and roll that we all love so much now existing without Zildjian being part of it all. And that's why I wanted to have you on. So please um, tell Craigie and Debbie that I said hi. And um, I look forward to the part two of the podcast when we can actually do it in person. Yes. <laughs> yes, I will do that. I will say hello to you uh, for you. And um, we'll make sure that we, uh, we have a fun factory podcast. Yeah. Sooner than later. Sooner than later. And, and you know, I always extend the invite when uh, we're recording the podcast that uh, if you're sitting around on Tuesday nights and you feel like having a drink after a long day, every Tuesday night at 830, we meet for drinks for cocktails in the war room. So consider yourself invited if you want to join us in the war room for a drink one night and talk about the podcast and maybe answer some people's questions and stuff. I think that would be really cool too. I would love that. Thank you. Thanks, Sarah. Thank you. Talk to you soon. There she is, Sarah Hagen from Zildjian Symbols. All of the links you need to access Zildjian, all of their social media accounts, the videos she was talking about and everything are linked in the description of this podcast. And don't overlook the link to the corresponding playlist. Every Mistress Carrie podcast episode has a corresponding playlist and there is some awesome music on this playlist. Absolutely fantastic. Once again, I want to thank Jumptown Skydiving at jumptown.com and Latini Creative Solutions at latinicreative.com for sponsoring this episode of the podcast. If you're looking for me on social, you can find me at Mistress Carrie WAF on Facebook and Instagram and at Mistress Carrie on Twitter, my YouTube channel, Cameo, and the new Mistress Carrie fan club, the Mistress Carrie Backstage Pass on Patreon. You're getting all kinds of bonus content, 
And we're really creating a very cool community there, and you're going to get access to a bunch of exclusive stuff and discounted merch in my upcoming merch store. If you like what you heard, don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode of the Mistress Carrie podcast. And don't forget, meet me for a cocktail in the war room every Tuesday night at 8.30 Boston time, live on Facebook. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.